Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to find ourselves in verse number 14 this evening. Looking at how sometimes the enemy has a way of getting the church or a church folk into a rut. One of the, the saddest things and saddest realities is that so many times people begin and they start out on fire for God and somewhere along the way they find themselves up against the situation where things don't change and the fire begins to be diminished and they begin to lose expectation and hope. In other words, faith flies out the window. Sometimes we have to get to that point where we realize, you know what, if we're not a people of faith, we're not going to be moving any mountains. There's times that we're going to have to believe whenever believing seems crazy. There's times that we're going to have to believe our way through a situation. And I believe that the church is coming into a situation and coming into a season where we're going to have to believe for a move of God. And if we do, God will move. But it's by faith and faith alone. We're not, we're not going to, you know, put out a, a, a survey and, and find a survey and get our ducks in a row and then see things happen. It's going to come by faith and, and it's in a personal way. You know, you realize that a lot of times we pray for revival in churches, but do you know that God wants to bring a revival to your home? He wants to bring a revival to what you watch on TV. In fact, he may just have you throw the TV out. He wants to bring a revival into your marriage, into your children, into your grandchildren, into your parents, your grandparents, your neighbors. He wants to bring revival right to your mailbox. Amen? And when that begins to happen, you know what? God will bring revival to our churches. But right now, our churches are comfortable in their sleepy pattern. We, we've gotten into a rut. We've gotten into a rut. That's that, that's that, that grave with the ends kicked out. Can't get up. So you just stay right there. You just know your role. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what God wants for you. Stop this foolish thinking. God wants to bring new life. God wants to bring new life. It's like he told Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? If you say they can, Lord, if you say it, God can do anything through anyone. He can even speak through a donkey. Hallelujah. Amen. He can speak through a donkey. So here we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 14. Word of God says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Do you notice the order? The order is first, right? First, get up. That's faith. That's where faith begins to rise. First, there comes faith. Get up. Get out of the ditch. Get out of the situation. Understand that there's more than the ditch. There's more than the rut. That's that, that rut, you know. You call it a routine. The Lord knows what you mean. The Lord knows you mean a rut. Amen? And you know, churches get in a routine. Sometimes we know, oh, sister so-and-so is going to sing this, and then so-and-so is going to do that, and we just get into a rut. We just get into a routine. Now here he says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, a dull church, a dull church will follow the darkness of the world, but they'll do it in a sanitized manner. 
whatever's popular with the world, we're going to make a vacation Bible school out of it. We'll just sanitize it. Whatever songs are popular in the world, we will make our songs. We'll just sanitize it and change up the lyrics just a little bit. Is a, a dull church, a sleepy church will imitate a dark world. They'll just sanitize it. It's like watching a movie and all, all, you know, what's the point of watching a movie with all these curse words and you bleep them out? What's the point? We shouldn't be watching filth, period, whether it's bleeped out or not. Now, here we see that when, when we begin to get comfortable, when we begin to get dull, a couple of things happen. A couple of things happen. We will foolishly get caught up in things we have no business getting caught up in. When a, when a, a church gets sleepy and a church gets dull, or the people, and we'll just make it specific, when, a people, when the people of God begin to get sleepy on God, they'll begin to put their hands to things God doesn't want them to put their hands to. You'll begin to get your, you'll begin to get in everybody else's business. You'll begin to get in things that we're not supposed to be getting into, kind of like Job's friends. You begin, you know, implying things and saying things and doing things, and God never wanted you to go down that road. But because you don't have anything better to do, because you're not doing the things that God, you begin doing things you're not supposed to do. That's when you open yourself up to the enemy and you become a mouthpiece a mouthpiece for the devil you'll begin to tear other people down and you know what misery loves company i'm telling you that right now that's right you know how that's i know that's true because my mama used to say it misery loves company but you know what's sad you know what's sad is is the the if you think about it conversely when somebody isn't in the same misery you're in you don't want them to be happy. You'll see somebody having the joy of the Lord. You'll see somebody walking in the peace of God, having the fruit of the Spirit, and you'll say, yeah, but your, your shoelaces are undone. Yeah, but you part crooked. Yeah, but your, shirt, your shirt's unbuttoned. You, you, you'll just begin to pick apart people. Why? You want them to be miserable like you. Misery, that's what that's saying to me. Misery loves company. It doesn't want to be by itself. You, you don't want nobody else to have the joy of the Lord. You get somebody in a dull church that's excited for God, they're going to do everything they can do to pour cold water on that hot soul. Don't get excited about God in my presence. Don't jump for joy in my presence. Don't shout out. It's the same thing that happened whenever David was bringing the ark back to, to the city of God and he began to dance for the, for the Lord. He began to dance his heart out and his wife says, look at, look at, look at this. Defiling himself. And he, he, you know what he said? He said he can get even more undignified than this. You think this is undignified? Just watch. In other words, you think I'm crazy now? Just watch. We can always dig a little bit deeper. We can always dig just a little bit deeper. And that's what the Lord wants us to have. But sometimes, sometimes in a church or in our church world today, a lot of people don't want the Spirit of God moving in the church world anymore. We want to we depend on Fog machines, laser lights, and every other trick in the book. Amen. So here we here we see a, a problem when we get uh, when we get comfortable, when we get dull, when we get indolent or indifferent, we'll begin to get dull or sleepy as a people of God. 
Here's the other sad part. You ever tried to talk to somebody that's miserable? You ever tried to talk to somebody that's sleepy? You ever tried to? It's like talking to the wall. You can't, some people just won't be talked to until they're ready. Until they're ready. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter, keep your finger there. Go with me to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, and we're going to look at verse number 16 in this passage. It's amazing. Nobody will be able to tell somebody differently. And that's what I want you to see. A church, I want you to hear this too. When a church is dull or sleepy towards God, what are they sensitive toward? The world. You, 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 go, you can't live for the world and for God. You can't live in the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. You can't do both. Right? I said that earlier. You don't have that dual nature. You can't do both. You're going to have to operate in the flesh or the spirit, one or the other. Right? And God gives us that choice. But a, when, when you see somebody that is a sleepy Christian, or we'll call them backslidden, but we'll, we're just saying sleepy so that we don't rock anybody's boat too much, right? But, but when you see somebody that's a sleepy Christian, somebody that's kind of dulled down, they're no longer sensitive to God. And if they're not sensitive to God, they're going to be sensitive to the world. They're going to be sensitive to the things that move the world instead of the things that move God. In, in Proverbs 26, verse 11, it says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. You ever, you ever seen a dog throw up? You can't stop them from going back to the throw up. It's gross. But you can see it from a mile away. You ever see a dog throw up? You say, stop, don't, get back. And you can move them back, but they're going to come back. They're going to come back. Get back away. You can do all you want to do, but they're going to come back to the throw up. But you know, our folly, our folly are the things that aren't of God. When, 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 you're, when you're a person who's given to folly, people can stand in your way, they can beg, they can plead with you, they can holler at you, they can jump up and down, they can get a billboard and flash it, but you know what? If you're, if you're given towards foolishness and folly, you're going to go right back to those things. Nobody's going to be able to stop you. Nobody's going to be able to talk sense into you until you're, you know, it's the story of the prodigal son. Nobody could talk sense into that boy. I feel like I was me. I heard all my life that I was wrong. But it wasn't until the Spirit of God spoke to my heart that I knew I was wrong. But sometimes you can talk to somebody till you're blue in the face, but they're going to go back to the throw up. They're going to go back to the pig pen. They're going to squander their inheritance. They're going to go all the way till they're in a place that God never intended them to be and doing things they never dreamed that they would do. And then God speaks. And that prodigal son said, you know what? It's better, it's better to be a servant in my father's house. You ever thought that? 
I don't, I don't care if I get any crowns at all. As long as, if I'm the last one in the pearly gates, that's fine with me. And look at this next verse. It says, seest thou a man, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. So, somebody, somebody that is going their own way and doing their own thing, you can't talk to them. You can't talk to them. There's nothing that you're able to say. And look at this, look at this next one, verse 16. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Look at that. A sluggard. A sluggard is what we're talking about. A sluggard is somebody that's, that's sluggish, somebody that's foolish, somebody that's indolent towards God, somebody that is sleepy towards God. This is somebody who is not sensitive to God, not walking with God. The Bible says here, that they're wiser in their own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You can get seven people telling somebody that's backslidden that they're going the wrong direction. But until they hear from God, they're not going to hear. That's what he's saying. So what does the church need? If the church, most people would say the church is in a bad state of affairs right now. Most people would. Some people can't see it. Most people would, though. What does the church need? Does it need seven people telling it what's wrong with it, picking it apart? No, the church needs to hear from God. The church needs to hear from God. We need to put our ear, we need to put our ear down to that altar and we need to hear from God. We need a fresh revelation from God. You know, we, God speaks today. God still moves today and nothing will move the church like getting a fresh revelation from God, getting an on-time word from God. And it's not going to happen until we turn the TV off and get out of our routine, get out of our rut and come to the Lord and give ourselves to him one more time. That's why the order was important that I wanted you to see in Ephesians 5. First, there was an awake, and secondly, there was Christ is going to give you light. A lot of times people say, well, if Jesus gives me something to do, I'll do it. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here. No, get up. Get up and go, and then you'll see. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. Now, let's move back over there to Ephesians chapter 5. It says that when awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, this is, this is a, a, a reference back into Isaiah chapter 60, speaking of Israel, telling Israel to get up, and God's going to shine on you, and God's going to use you so that you'll be a light to the nations that are in darkness. And that's the same call that God's given the church. This call that God's given the church is still in effect today. We can't sit around and bellyache about how dark the world is when God's given us a charge to be light in a dark world. What do we expect? It's not going to be a light world until Christ comes back. Our job is to shine. Our job is to, is to get intimate with God, to commune with God, to get filled with the Spirit of God, and then let the Spirit of God be reflected out of us. That's our job. God does his job. The world does theirs. Are we doing ours? Are we doing ours? 
So it says that Christ will give thee light, right? Remember that God brought you out of darkness and into light? Remember those days? There was a day and time when life controlled you. You remember when life seemed bigger than God? Then you called on God, and God got bigger than life. But when we get sleepy and backslidden and idle and indolent towards God, life begins to get bigger than God again. That's that rut. That, that's the walls. The walls are bigger. If you remember what we talked about, it's like when you live in Groundhog Day. Every day you wake up, it's the same thing. Just repeat and repeat. Boom, boom. Nothing changes. Now, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Not only did life control you, but the lust of the flesh controlled you. When we were not with God, we, we did whatever our flesh desired. Now, if you correlate that to a sleepy church, you'll see a sleepy church does the exact same thing. I'll say a sleepy church, let's just put in parentheses, a backslidden person, right? They don't do what the Spirit of God wants them to do. They do whatever they want to do whenever they're ready to do it. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Don't tell me what to do. Well, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to tell you to listen to God. So it says that Christ will give thee light. Now, the thing about this that we need to see also is that the, what produces sleepiness is slothfulness. You see this from another passage in Proverbs, but, but slothfulness is what produces sleepiness. No, in, in other words, what does it mean to be slothful? It means whenever you're not active in the things of God. Whenever you begin to get inactive in the things of God, sleepiness will come on you. And then God will have to tell you, wake up. That's what he's saying. Do you realize that's what he's saying right there? Wake up. He says it right there, awake. But when I'm trying to get my kids out of bed, I say, wake up. That's how I say it. But he says right there, awake. 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 Why would God need to tell the church to get awake? Because the church is asleep. How did the church get asleep? It became slothful, inactive in the things of God. Proverbs chapter 19, if you want to write that down, Proverbs chapter 19 is where we get that. It says that, that slothfulness produces sleepiness. Whenever we begin to get inactive in the things of God, we find ourselves we find ourselves going backwards. Now, here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. If you look at this next part. It says, see then... That you walked circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, one of the things I want you to listen for in this passage is that it says that we're called to redeem the time. We talked earlier about how Christ redeemed us. You realize that not, it redeem, redeeming goes two ways? Can you believe that? Not only did Christ redeem you with his own blood, but now he's giving you a charge to redeem something. What are you redeeming? 
Well, what, do you remember what we said Christ did? How he, he, he redeemed us with his own blood? That means that he laid claim to you. He purchased you. He bought you back from someone that held you captive, right? How do we redeem the days? How do we redeem the days? That means that we should be actively doing something to purchase the day back to God, to lay claim to this day for God, to take back what was once captive for the world and to bring it into God's glory. Our charge, our calling that God's giving us right here is not only to know and understand God has redeemed us and we need to wake up, we need to walk circumspectly, but that we are called to redeem time. How do we redeem time? That's great that you asked. God wants you to purchase. God wants you to lay claim to what he's giving you. If he gives you today, he wants you to take it. When we're slothful, what are we doing? Oh, why do anything? I don't have anything to do. You know, if the Lord needs me, he'll tell me. We're slothful. That's, that, is, that is, you know, mixing up, resting in God and being idle. God never wants us to be idle. He never wants us to be insensitive to his spirit. Even if you're doing nothing, you should be communing with God. You can do nothing. You can be on an island where nobody is and there's nothing to do and still not be idle. You can be retired but refired. You can be stirred up in the Holy Ghost even if you can't even walk. You don't have to have physical abilities or capabilities for God to use you. God used Moses. He couldn't talk. Or maybe he talked like a Texan like me. I don't know. He just couldn't talk right. But either way, God is greater than our abilities. And a lot of times when we feel like we're inferior or we don't have the ability or the capability to change anything or do anything, we just begin to get slothful and indifferent and we begin to get sleepy, parentheses, backslidden. And God's call is wake up. Wake up and redeem time. You don't know that you're given tomorrow. If he's giving you today, there is a specific command in scripture that you're reading right now, that you're listening to right now. A specific scripture says, you go out and you lay claim to this day. How do you do that? How do you do that? You use your talents, you use your resources, you use your conversations, you use everything at your disposal in, in, an, in an effort, in an effort to point people to Jesus. In everything that you do, every conversation that we have, we're supposed to be pointing people to Jesus from the way that we treat others. Do you realize that the way that you treat others reflects on God? The way that you treat the, 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 the people that uh, nobody would ever know that you treat them bad, that reflects on God. That uh, D.O. Moody, he said one time that, you know, he said whenever he wants to know uh, if, if a pastor's right with God, he doesn't ask the congregation, he asks his wife. 
how, how's this person in the home? How's this person in the home? Are, are they bitter? Forgiving? Gentle? How are they? Right? And, and that's how you know. But here, how do you redeem the time? Well, let's think about this. Let's think through this. There's a purpose that God has for you. A purpose that God has for you and how you treat others. It's just a golden rule. Hey, we're going back to Sunday school. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Hey, you know what? Whenever somebody does you wrong, you want them to be bitter towards you? You want them to be bitter and unkind, unforgiving, unloving, unmerciful? Or do you want them to have the love of God and give you a second chance? Third chance. How many of y'all have ever had a fifth chance? How many of y'all ever had a hundred and fiftieth chance? And yet, somebody crosses us twice, we done with them. Their name is Mud. They done done me wrong for the last time, Pastor. What'd they do? That's the second time they did that to me. When you going and you blowing through relationships a hundred and something times. What are other things we can do? It's how we love others. How you love others. Do you know that God, the call on your life is not just to love those that love you? Jesus said that's what the world does. That's what the world, the world loves those that love them. How have we gotten into that? When our call is to love those that hate us. Do you, and do you realize that that means that that's the worst, right? Love those that hate you. That's, that's the worst, obviously. But it also means you're called to love people up. What do you mean by that, Pastor? It means you're supposed to go to those people that maybe you don't have any relationship with at all, but nobody's loving on them. Love them up. Build them up. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Let God... How, what does that mean? That means you're redeeming time for God. It means God's, God's given this day, this person's in it. You can just let them drift off into nothingness. You can let them just continue going in, thinking that nobody cares, nobody loves them. Or you can redeem the time for God like he's called us to do and take time out of your schedule to call them, text them, write them, go visit them, say hi to them, shake their hand, love on them. Maybe even if you got a social distance from them, do it in love. Whatever you got to do. But we're called to redeem time for God. And, the, and it gets down into that practical, nitty-gritty relationship. That's what God's looking for. It's not just a Sunday religion. How many times have we heard that, but we haven't comprehended it sometimes? But God wants to get into that nitty-gritty area where we get in with family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers and, and acquaintances, and God wants to get into those areas and cause us to love those that don't care for us at all, or maybe those that don't even know that we exist. God wants to put them on your heart. He wants to use you to redeem time for himself. You know, he, when he says redeem time, that means that, that the devil's laid claim to the time. He's the prince of the power of the air last time I looked in the Bible. Right? That's what Paul said. The prince of the power of the air. Yet, yet all power is given unto Jesus. 
That means that we can take authority over any situation. No matter how far somebody's gone, they're not too far out the reach of God. If we will be a vessel that God can use, if we will be a willing vessel and awake unto God, and then the light of Christ shine on us, then we can go into those dark places, into those hard situations, and not care how they treat us, not care how they respond to us, and begin to look at them the way God would have us to look at them, right? You know, we get into the he said, she said. That's exactly what the devil wants us to get. Well, they didn't do this for me, and I ain't never doing that for them. And, and she said this about me, and let me tell you about her. And this he said, she said, going back and forth, it, it means that we're not awake to what God wants us to be awake to. It means we've fallen asleep. We've gotten into a routine. We've gotten into a rut. We just got into a habit. We got into this place where we just stay. It's comfortable in our routine. It's comfortable there because we know what it's like. It don't cost anything, right? Amen. It's the thing about the Lord. Nobody can ever get around God and stay the same. All your flesh wants to do is be left alone. All your flesh wants to do is be left alone. Quit poking on me, pastor. It ain't me, it's the Lord, right? But our flesh just wants to be left alone. Don't tell me this. I just want to be left alone. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. The flesh wants to go quietly in the night. But God wants to take you and awake you and put his light on you so that others can see Christ in you. That's what God wants to do. God's desire is that you be a walking, talking epistle. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. It's an amazing passage, but Paul said, you are an epistle. Amen. He was talking to the church in Corinth. You're a, you are an epistle, not written with ink, but by the Spirit. You know, as you live for God, you're a walking, talking book of the Bible. Not that you're adding to or taking away from the Word of God, but you're an active participant in the work of God. It means that what God has written didn't just stay on the page, but it got up inside you and changed you for His glory. That means that you cooperated with the Spirit of God. You said yes in surrender, and God moved on you. The Spirit jumped out the book and got in you. That's what He's saying when you're a walking epistle. It's not a dry, you know, we don't go to church to hear a book report. We come to get a word from God. How? Why? Because it's a living book. It's a living spirit. Amen? Now, here we see something. Is that there's, when, whenever you're walking circumspect, you see that? It says, before he gets into redeeming time, it says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. To be circumspect means that you're walking exactly, accurately, diligently. You're measuring everything that you do. You're, you're making a calculated effort in all that you do. So whenever we drive, we make a calculated effort that we drive for the glory of God. When we, when we enter into a relationship, when we talk to somebody, maybe a family member at Christmas or Thanksgiving or, or some kind of holiday, or you go to work and you get into a situation that you don't want to be in, God has got, got you there for a reason. This coworker gets on my last nerve. 
Well, God, you know what? The Spirit of God can give you more nerves. Stop leaning on your own strength and on your own understanding. You know what? I'm in a situation right now with this family member, and I'm at, I'm at the end. I've had it up to here. Don't limit God. God will give you more patience than you want. Don't limit God. God will give you more long-suffering. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. To, to walk circumspectly means that you're, you're calculating, you're measuring. You're, everything is, 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 is calculated, meaning all that I do. All that I do, I take thought in it. I pray over it. I ask the Lord, where are you in this situation? What would you have me to do in this situation? You might say, Pastor Kenny, you don't know what my situation's like. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do in that situation. Ask him. Ask him. And his word that he gives you will line up with the word of God. It will. You, 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 that's it. But how, when we walk circumspectly, what we're doing is we're positioning ourselves to hear from God. We're positioning ourselves to get in line with the Word of God. Now the Spirit of God can empower us. Because see, a lot of, if we're sleepy and indifferent towards God, the Spirit of God's not going to empower somebody that's full of the flesh. You don't watch Will of Fortune and just wait on God to pour the power on you? All right, Lord, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. But until then, click, 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 flip through the channels. You know that the Lord said, tarry in Jerusalem till you're in due power from on high. You know what the Bible says? They didn't go and play Uno. They didn't even have a dinner. They didn't even have a potluck dinner. They didn't do none of that stuff. They didn't play card shark. They didn't play gestures. They didn't, um, they didn't draw numbers for iPads. What'd they do when they was in that upper room? Didn't they get bored after a while? They were hungry for God, and they prayed. And as they prayed, and they tarried, and prayed, and they tarried, and prayed, and they tarried, somebody probably was like, well, I'm just about tired of this, but we're just going to keep on praying until we see something happens. And they just prayed and they tarried and prayed, and then the Lord came. And you know that that same pattern, that same pattern God uses? Now, he doesn't call you to go to an upper room in Jerusalem, but he still calls you to pray and to tarry until you're endued to power from on high. And that there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do without God's power and God's spirit that's of any value or blessing towards God. Because if you can do it in your own strength, come on. Is that from God? Think about this. Well, why did Jesus, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did he go to John the Baptist and get baptized? It was written. And God used it. God told John the Baptist who he's going to be, right? He said, whenever he comes up out of the water, that, that dove's going to come on. That's, that's the Son of God. That's the Messiah. But Jesus was fully deity before and after he was baptized. He didn't have to, but he showed and displayed that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was working on him as he existed in that, in that body of flesh. The Holy Ghost came upon him, it says, bodily like a dove. 
Now, if Jesus operated under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a problem if the church doesn't. If we think we don't need the Holy Spirit in our daily life, our daily activity, it just means we're more asleep than we thought we was. Because if we can do the work of God without God, there's a problem. A.W. Tozer, he said that was, that was one of the scariest things he ever heard. He was talking to a minister one time, and he said, my church functions so well, we got everything so well organized that even if the Holy Spirit wasn't there, the church would just keep on going. And he said, I was horrified when I heard that. Tozer said that. Well, wonder what people would think about us today, blowing and going without God. Now, here we see that the, the call is to be circumspect. That means each spot measured. That there's purpose in how we treat others, love others, forgive others, how you respond to others, and how you reach others. You see, everything that we do is about others. You listen to the modern gospel, it's all about, it's all about me. It's all about me. But when God uses you and God comes upon you and God empowers you, it's to change you so that you can reach others. Why? So that others can see Jesus too. If Jesus is beautiful to you, he wants to in turn light you up so that others can see he is beautiful as well. Don't be stingy with Jesus. Share him. Don't be stingy with Jesus. Don't be comfortable with Jesus. Don't, don't be dull. Don't get indolent. Don't get insensitive. Don't get indifferent. Get to that place where you're hungering that God used you. Now, now you're going to see something that's pretty, pretty awesome right here. Now, how do we reach the lost, the backslidden? How do we reach those that are downcast for Jesus? Well, you can't do it if you're still asleep. And that's number one. You can't do it if you're not circumspect in the way that you live. In other words, you just get up, go where you want to go, do what you want to do. That's not living circumspect. That's not living. You're supposed to live on purpose. That means there's a plan, a method into everything that you do. Sometimes you got to, you know what? Sometimes you got to just set aside time to get alone with the Lord. There, nothing will benefit you more than spending hours with Jesus. You can go to seminary in Jerusalem and still not get as much as you'll get if you'll spend an hour with Jesus on your knees every day. And it's amazing, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to get Jesus. He'll come to you. He'll come to you. So it says that we're called to redeem the time because the days are evil. I don't have to tell you that the days are evil. You know that the days are evil. My question for you is, are you redeeming the time? Are you using your talent and your resources for God? Are you using what God's given you so that you can point whosoever's to Jesus? Because you, you, you may be done with folks, but God's not. You may think that they're past salvation. You may think that they're past this and past that, but God doesn't think that. I'm glad God didn't think that of me. 
There was a thousand times in my life I heard people say, don't go there, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, but I just went right ahead on. I'm so glad that somebody didn't give up on me. I'm so glad somebody thought, well, you know what? That dude right there, he's, he's too far gone. I mean, he's just messed up from his head to his toes. I'm glad, number one, God didn't give up on me. And I'm glad, number two, I had a praying grandma that prayed me through being a prodigal. I'm glad of that. But you know what's sad? Is that we see people and we say, they're never going to get it. We say, how many years? How many years? Or how long? God didn't give up on you. Why are you going to give up on somebody? Why are you going to give up on somebody? Pray them through. Pray them through. Get a hold of them in prayer. Grab a hold of them on one side and grab a hold on God on the other and pray them to the Lord. Pray them into the kingdom. Pray them right with God. Pray them in. Pray them in. It says that we're called to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to go to verse number 18. Yes, indeed. It said that in that previous verse, it says that we're to understand the will of God. What is the will of God? God, his desire is that his power be seen in you. That his power be seen in you as he changes you. See, if you're in a rut, you never change. If you're doing things the same way that you've been doing things and you've never grown in the Lord, you've never gotten deeper in your prayer life, you've never gotten more intimate with God, you've never grown in your hunger for the Word of God, you've never grown in your ability to forgive and love others, you've never grown in your ability to look over the faults of others, if you've never grown in those things, you've been in a rut. And God's desire, though, is that His power be seen in you as you're changed from glory to glory. You see, when God changes you, you don't get the credit. Sorry. How's that for American gospel? If God changes you, you don't get the credit. God did it. If God uses you, you don't get the credit. God did it. We, we, we would still be in the fishbowl of the world had it not been for the grace and mercy of God and the Spirit of God. But because God was merciful to us, God blessed us, God moved upon us, and we said yes to the Lord, right? But for the grace of God, where would we be? And you see, what's amazing is sometimes we get in those ruts in life, we get in those seasons, we get in that sleepy pattern where we're not 
walking in expectation towards God. We're not moved by faith anymore. We're not thinking that God can, can move that mountain or this mountain or change this or change that. But the will of God for us, this is a beautiful principle you need to see, is that God's power is seen in you. As you're changed from glory to glory so that people that saw you last year see you again and they say, man, God's done awesome work in you. Just a little more loving, a little more gentle, just a little bit more spiritual. Yes, I'm just growing in the Lord, you know, all glory to God. God does a work in us. But if we're the same as we always have been, where's the growth? There's not any. We've been asleep. Look at this in, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Oh, we we got to read 17. It says, now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, which is a biblical way of saying, as you look in a mirror at God's glory. Open face beholding, that means that, that, that God takes away the, the veil. That In Jesus, we can see God perfectly, beautifully. We can see God as God desires us to see him in Jesus Christ. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when you look at what Christ did for you at Calvary, you see his love for you. You see his desire for you. You see that he's, he's merciful to you. You see that he forgives you. And you'll see God. And he says here that as open face beholding, that is, as you look, as you were looking into a mirror, that's how you're called to look at the glory of God. And look what happens. Look what happens. As in a glass, the glory of the Lord, as you behold God's glory, look, are changed into the same image, are changed into the same image, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As you see the reflection of God's glory, he'll change you. Somebody that's not changing is not spending time with God. You can't, this is, one of the principles that you'll see in the Old Testament is nobody ever stayed the same when they got around God. They either melted like butter or they got hard as stone. But nobody stayed the same. When, when backslidden Israel got around God, they got, get, uh, they would, their hearts would get callous or some of them, their hearts would melt like butter. And it's the same way today. You spend time with God, God may put something before you that you don't want. God may call you to forgive somebody that you don't want to forgive. God may ask you to, you know, maybe you robbed a bank and you don't want to take the money back. Well, you're not going to go any further with God until you take the money back. Which is a sidebar. It's not a blessing if you had to sin to get it. Woo, God blessed me with a million dollars. All I had to do is rob a bank. It's not a blessing. It's not a blessing. How many times have you seen somebody do that with Another person, though, take somebody else's wife. God bless me with a new wife. Not a blessing. 
Not a blessing. Now, here, here's what we see, though. Somebody that, somebody that is not changing, it simply means that they're not looking at Jesus. It says, if you behold, you'll be changed from glory to glory. Isn't that beautiful? And it says, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, meaning you don't need to go to a conference to get change. You don't need to send in $15.95 plus shipping and handling to get a DVD to get change. You got to get along with God, get the Bible, get on your knees, get before the Lord and see the Lord again. Let the Lord open your eyes again. And as you're intimate with God and the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll change. You'll change. Genuine change. Real change. The kind of change that people notice. And the kind of change that gives God glory. When they say, wow, God's done a work in you. I'll never forget whenever me, my, my best friend and I, we got saved, we got filled with the Holy Ghost same time, same month, same church. And I'll never forget one time, we were just completely different. I mean, when you go from the world to being filled with the Spirit, it's just, it's, a, it, it, it's like you're a totally different person. It's a new life. You hear the birds chirping and everything. You see, getting color now and all this kind of stuff. But I'll never forget, his mom said, Jesus looks so good on y'all. And I've always hung on to that. But I've always seen that in people too. I've always seen whenever God really moves on somebody's life, it's so beautiful. You can see Jesus on them. You, you, can see, you can see that they're sensitive to God, that they desire God, that the Spirit of God's on them. And yes, I, look, I know misery still loves company, and when somebody's not ready to change, they don't want you to change either. They're going to throw lumps of coal at you and tomato, all that. I know. But you got to look past that. You got to love them anyways. Because we were like that. Until we were ready to, until we were ready to receive from God and ready to get along with God, nobody ever changed. And now you see, sometimes we get in a rut. We get in a routine. And God knows what you mean, right? It's just my routine. I'm just in this routine right now. God knows what you mean. It's a rut. Sometimes you get in it and you're not changing. You're not growing in God. You're not going forward in the things of God. And you never will until you get along with the Lord and behold his glory. And once you do that, God will begin working on you. God will begin ministering. God will begin blessing. God will begin strengthening. And, and I just love the fact that it says, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hey, it's not you that did it. It's not you. That, that American gospel is just flying out the window, right? It's not you that did the changing. You, you just looked at the right person. You looked to the right God. You, you began to call upon the Lord. You began to, to meditate upon God. And God did the changing. It's the Spirit of God that does the work. It's like whenever the, whenever the Israelites, you remember whenever they, they began to murmur and complain in the desert and God sent those fiery serpents and they began to get bit and die and God told Moses, get that brazen serpent, right? And if they get bit, all they got to do is look at that 
serpent and live, right? You can't run around saying, hey, look what I did. I'm still alive. No, God, God healed you. God did the changing. As you did the looking, God did the healing. The same way in this. As you do the looking, as you do look at Jesus and you look at his glory, you look at, at how much mercy was displayed in his humiliation at the cross, when you look at what it cost him to redeem you with that precious blood as the blood of the lamb, when you begin to see him afresh and you begin to let that work on you, he'll change you from glory to glory, right? And it's not you, it's God. It's God that's doing the changing. Well, hallelujah. You understand the will of God now? You understand the will of God now? It is about you. God wants to change you, but God wants to change you so that he can get into other people's hearts, so he can get into other people's minds, so he can get into other people's lives. Get in, And you know what? As the church, we want revival, as, but as the church begins to understand this concept, this will of God, we'll begin changing folks one at a time. One at a time. I want to see thousands change. I want to see hundreds change. I want to see millions change. I would love nothing more than our whole nation to be nothing but spirit-filled Christians. But I must start with one. If I'm not willing to invest my time and resources for one, I mean, I'm, I'm missing the boat. Missing the boat. You see, and here's the thing. Whenever God says redeeming the time, here's, here's the catch. Here's the catch. That's not just to ministers. The book of Ephesians is not written to pastors. It's not Timothy or Titus. It's written to everybody. It's written to the church. You have a call on your life to redeem the time for God, whether you're a minister or not. You don't have to go, um, but you don't have to go stand on a street corner and preach in order to redeem the time. The devil wants you to think nothing more than that redeeming the time is going on the street corner and preaching. When God's plan for redeeming the time is for you to actually love people that you're around. That you're actually forgiving to those that you're around. You know, sometimes we pass that and we would rather go spend our time maybe at a street corner and think that we're doing something for God when Jesus, what he told the Pharisees is, you're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You're, you're looking for the big enchilada, but you're missing all these things. They were focused on tithing, and they were focused on offerings and sacrifices, but they weren't so much focused on mercy. Sounds like the church today. Focusing on tithes, no focus on mercy. What have we become? Pharisees sleepy church and see sometimes the flesh the flesh will want you to believe that in order for you to redeem time you're gonna have to go get a picket sign which hey i want you to do that i'll, I'll go with you we'll do it together but the flesh wants you to think nothing more than you're supposed to get a picket sign go stand on the street corner and preach but i'm telling you start at home start with your neighbor start with your coworker. Start with your spouse or your child or your grandchild, those people that, you know what, it's hard. It's nitty, it's gritty. The only way you'll be able to do it is to keep beholding Jesus at Calvary. 
As you continue to look to him, he'll continue to change you and give you a steady supply of all that you need to be who you are so that others will see God in you. Now in closing, we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 5. Paul here is writing to the church. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. You, you are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. What does that tell you? That tells you that there were some redeemed folks that were sleeping. He's not talking about physically sleeping, guys. Spiritually. Spiritually. Even then, even in the first century, even in the first century, there were Christians that were sleeping. More focused. More focused on themselves. I don't know if they had Wheel of Fortune back then, but they would have been watching it instead of spending time with God. Instead of, instead of spending time in the house of God. Instead of investing it in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not only exist at the church. The kingdom of God's in you. If you want to do things for God, you don't have to wait till you get to church to do it. You can do things for God in your home, at your job, at the store, wherever you go. You don't have to wait till Sunday at 1045 to serve God. You can serve God in your home. That's where it truly starts. That's where it truly starts. But there are, even back then in the first century, Christians who were asleep. So Paul said, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. It's one or the other. We're either watching and being sober or we're sleeping. What does it mean to watch and be sober? Well, that's a whole other message. But to watch means Kind of like he said earlier, to, to be circumspect. Everything that you do is calculated and measured. You've planned, you've prayed, you've put it on purpose. The things that you do, you do it for God and you do it with a reason for God. You, 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 you know, if you're doing something for a neighbor, you're doing it so that you can win them to the Lord. That's what it means. It's to be purposeful. In the things of God. That's how we redeem the time for God. That's to watch means to, to, to be aware, to be aware of what's going on. If you've ever kept watch at night over a situation, over a home or whatever it may be, your job is to see what's coming. What about spiritually or prophetically? Are we seeing what's coming? Are we just so indifferent that we don't care 
And to be to to be sober means to to well, you know what it means to be sober off of alcohol. What does it mean to be spiritually sober? It means to not be intoxicated with the things of the world, but to be filled with the things of God. And you don't have to wait till church starts to get there. You can do that at home. You can do that. We, we can do that in our own personal lives. It's amazing what happens whenever we begin to see that, that God's call on our life is to redeem time, to be sober, to be watchful, to, to live a life that is circumspect. It's not a routine. Not sleepy, not indolent, not insensitive to God, but a heart after God. A heart after God. And as you do that, as you watch and as you're sober, you will find yourself redeeming time for God. You'll find yourself doing things for God. As you watch, as you're sober, God will use you. God will use you to minister to people in the marketplace. God will use you to minister to people in your home. God will use you to minister to people that people will actually, the Lord will find a way to send people to you. You, you may not have experienced that yet, but you begin to walk with God, you begin to start redeeming time, and you'll find yourself like a funnel where God will send people to you. He'll send people to you. I want to close with just a question. Are you redeeming time for God? Not did you redeem time for God one time. I'm not asking that. I'm not asking if you redeemed God time a few years ago because you served. Anybody that ever served in vacation Bible school, you redeemed time that week. I got gotcha. you. But I'm not talking about that week. I'm talking about this week. Are you redeeming time for Jesus today? Tonight? Tomorrow? And if not, how, how would you? How would you go about it? The first step would be to just begin to get intimate with God again. If you can't get on your knees, you can get on your face, cover your face, get in your prayer chair, whatever you got to do. But get along with God. And begin to talk with Jesus. Begin to minister to him. Begin to love on him. And, and watch what God does. Watch what God does. Nothing will, nothing will take you further than communion with God.